0: You're listening to My Therapist Thinks, a modern mental health podcast. We're your hosts, Andrea Bozia and Mary Beth Somich. We're licensed therapists with a passion for making therapy accessible, relatable, and relevant to your life. Let's get started.
1: How attached are you? Well, I guess it depends to what, right? In this episode, we're talking about attachment styles, which are closely linked to the different ways we interact and behave in relationships. For example, do you find that maybe your relationships are satisfying and low conflict? Or maybe you desperately want a great relationship, but when things start getting serious, you might push that person away. Maybe intimate relationships have been a really stressful and unfulfilling thing for you, And if you're seeing these patterns, they can often be traced back to attachment style. So it's definitely worth identifying and building understanding around your personal attachment style and how it might really be affecting
0: you in relationships in your adulthood. Yes, so attachment styles are predominantly formed in childhood based on our relationships with our primary caregivers. So the general idea behind this theory is that the way in which a person's needs were met by their primary caregivers will influence their future social and intimate relationships. And in an effort to prove this theory that You know, our parents have had a big role on, or our caregivers have had a big role in how we interact with others. Researchers really needed to come up with a way to categorize the different ways people connect with one another. So in an effort to do this, they started to study infants and toddlers' reactions through a series of observational experiments. So that means that they were analyzing children and their responses to their parents when they were placed in different situations. Now, disclaimer here that a lot of this research was done in the 50s and 70s. So it was predominantly the child and the mother that were being observed by the researchers. So, you know, just a... A little bit of sexism there, but let's uh, (laughs) make that note. It's a good thing to know. So the most widely known study, though, uh, was called the strange situation. And this is often something that's reviewed in most Psych 101 classes because it's so important to understanding attachment theory. And this is where infants were exposed to eight different scenarios that only lasted a few minutes each. And then researchers would identify these common interactive behaviors uh, between the baby and the mother or the baby and whoever else was in the room with them. So, for example... The researchers would observe how the baby would react to the mom alone in the room by studying the baby's affect. So was the baby smiling or sad, how close they were to mom, and then whether or not the baby was exploring the environment. And they would look at those behaviors compared to when the baby was alone or the baby was left with a stranger and so on and so forth. So based on how this child responded to all these different events, different patterns were identified. And from those patterns, three main attachment styles were born. A fourth attachment style came on later, and we're going to briefly touch on it, but it's not one that's talked about a lot in research. So we're just going to graze it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really good that we start out with like a foundational understanding of
1: where these attachment styles even came from, like in the research and how long ago they were were researched right the 50s and the 70s like you said but before you start blaming you know all your relationship problems on your parents it's also important to note that attachment styles formed during early childhood may not necessarily be identical to those demonstrated in your adult romantic attachments so they definitely have a strong correlation most times but you can't blame everything on your parents so <laughs> um you know a great deal of time has elapsed between infancy and adulthood so Those intervening experiences also play a large role in your adult attachment style.
0: Yes, definitely. And I think temperament also can influence our attachment style as well. So that's the difference between nature and nurture here.
1: Yeah. So let's take a look at those really three different styles and then we'll touch on the fourth one, like you said. So the three main styles are secure, anxious, often called anxious, ambivalent and avoidant. So I guess starting out with secure, which you might guess is the healthiest of the attachment styles or the most the one ideal. We- Yeah, the one we prefer, right? Right. Yes. So around like 50 to 65% of people tend to self-identify themselves as securely attached. However, some research suggests that actually less than 10% of the population are securely attached. So this can speak to how lack of awareness can really play a role. Oh my gosh, yes. That's really powerful to know. Yeah. I mean, people want to think that, you know, I'm good, I got it all together. And without really the knowledge in this research and, and observing themselves and having the self-awareness, it can be hard to identify that. So just to kind of break it down, securely attached individuals are trusting, they're totally comfortable with emotional intimacy, and they have a really positive view of both themselves and their partner in the relationship. So for that reason, they tend to have really fulfilling and long lasting relationships with pretty low conflict. So it's a nice balance of autonomous autonomy and intimacy. And so you might imagine that during these experiments, the secure children, they were okay emotionally when they were separated from their parent. They might, they sought comfort from their parent when they were frightened and and they received it from that parent might've greeted their parent with positive emotions upon return. And definitely prefer their parent to strangers which i think is emotionally healthy and expected you know indicating that there is a comfortable secure and trusting bond between the parent and the child so as adults that turns into a trusting bond with their partner and a lasting relationship and also often like pretty healthy self esteem and vulnerability is something that's safe in this relationship And then healthy boundaries, you know, securely attached people are pretty good at having healthy boundaries also.
0: Yeah. And I really love that you mentioned the self-esteem piece because when we're thinking about attachment, it's usually like attachment to other, right? But secure attachment really stems from the person from within. And, you know, when I'm exploring that idea of, of secure attachment, I'm noting that, you know, one can be independent, but they're also creating space to receive and give affection without that defining their sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's it's, a great point, right? It's not like all external, but you know that you can rely on the external, which is important. So if you have a securely attached person, you know, they're able to feel rejection and they'll, you know, have an appropriate response to that, that which may look like tears or it may look like, oh gosh, this sucks, right? They're acknowledging the pain, but then they're also able to move on to another relationship and then continue to be trusting in that new relationship. Again, depending on what happened in the other one, but in most cases, (laughs) you're trusting and your level of self-esteem is not going to be immediately and directly affected by the other person's behavior or the end of the relationship. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So I hope that kind of gives you a good picture of what secure attachment can look like.
0: And moving on to
1: anxious or anxious ambivalent attachment. I mean, anxiously attached individuals are just that they're pretty anxious And research links this type of attachment to low maternal availability. And remember, this is the fifties, sixties, seventies. So we are talking mostly about mothers in this research. So I would even stretch to say low parental availability at this point, or maybe they had highly anxious and dysregulated caregivers. So because of that, as children, maybe they were wary of strangers. Right or became greatly distressed when their parents left. Because, I mean, I kind of want to get into the somatic piece in here, and we always kind of bring it back to that nervous system regulation approach. But if you're raised by a highly anxious parent or an absent parent or a parent that's going through something, um, you're kind of tethering off of their nervous system and their state. So the child adopts that themselves, unfortunately. And so they may also feel that distress Um, that their parent is feeling. And they also don't appear really comforted when their parent returns. So
0: yeah. And as adults, did you want to say something, Andrea? I really appreciated you saying that uh, the child is going to respond to the parent's nervous system. And I think it's important to note that parents likely experienced Our anxious parents likely experience an anxious attachment style themselves as a kid. So that means that perhaps when that parent was a child, their emotional needs were not consistently met. And perhaps they had this internal dialogue of like, am I lovable or am I unlovable in this moment? And that can really translate onto their child subconsciously, Right. Mm-hmm. This is the power of healing intergenerational trauma and dysfunction. And just dynamically, this is the work that I love doing. <laughs> yeah, it's really powerful stuff. And I think that, you know, sometimes the parent can recognize the child's need, which is really awesome. Like in all of these attachment styles, there's going to be some point where the parent can connect and be attuned with the child. So the child's need is being met. But then at other times, especially with this anxious ambivalent style, the child's needs may be completely ignored. Or I've even seen that parents get too consumed by their feelings that they're actually seeking hugs or seeking reassurance to make themselves feel better, thinking that in a way they're meeting their child's needs, but actually it's more self-focused. And the child can end up feeling like empty and unseen and unheard, even though they're still receiving some sort of affection and attention. Right. And that's where you get into parentification
1: or not really understanding their own wants and needs. And so feeling anxious or even um, people pleasing. I see a lot of anxiously attached people Um, become people pleasers for sure. And so as adults, what this might look like is, um, you know, worrying that their partner doesn't love them because they have this anxious attachment style or becoming extremely distraught when the relationship ends, um, lacking boundaries in a lot of ways, or even being viewed as needy sometimes worrying excessively and an anxiously attached adult may fear infidelity in their relationship. And this might even be to an irrational degree and just being really highly dependent on their partner or even kind of catastrophizing in the relationship that, you know, my partner might abandon me. So there's a lot of emotional highs and lows when it comes to anxious ambivalent attachment.
0: Yeah. And in in general, they, these individuals tend to struggle with low self-esteem. Yeah. I think what you're describing is like this push and pull of internal forces, right? There's this real desire to have their needs met, but then there's no guarantee from past experiences that their needs will be met and that they will be attuned to. So they may turn away from others and not seek comfort or accept comfort when they do receive it. So this real confusion can come up, right? So I feel like anxious attachment styles, the anxious ambivalent, they often feel reluctant about becoming close to others, But then they also are consumed with worry and want to be close with others, but end up engaging in behaviors that wouldn't foster that secure attachment, like frequent breakups, accusing partners of cheating, maybe withdrawing, being cold and distant. So missing that secure base.
1: Yeah, it can look like self-sabotage even when you put it that way. So moving on to avoidant the third recognized style, avoidant children's caregivers are often just unavailable, insensitive, or maybe even hostile. So the child really forms a coping strategy of emotional disconnection. And this creates a total lack of emotional attunement that can be really isolating for that person. So I think about these kids as children, and they might actually avoid their parents because of the hostility or the lack of availability. They don't really seek contact or comfort from them, and they really show little or no preference for their parents over strangers. So if you think back to the securely attached children, they were like, of course, I prefer my parents over strangers. But these kids can pretty much rely on the same amount of affection and kindness from a stranger as they can from their parents, unfortunately. So this can definitely have some strong consequences into adulthood, like having issues with intimacy or not being willing or ready to invest emotionally in relationships, like even friendships. And these individuals are really extremely independent, like almost to a fault. And vulnerability is scary, trouble asking for help, like just very independent and avoidant of that emotional connection.
0: Yeah, and I think about this in a larger context too, how sometimes maybe perhaps that will drive other decisions in their life. So for example, their like career choices, like they may gravitate towards a career that really encourages and provides space for the person to become a workaholic. So within that, you know, they can use their avoidant attachment style to as a strength within that environment of kind of disengaging with their family or whatnot because, you know, oh, I have to do it because of the job, but really that's a form of coping, a maladaptive coping, but they're still coping, right? Dealing with avoiding that intimacy or creating excuses, you know, blaming the job, but actually that's something that they gravitated towards in an effort to have to maybe deal with that icky, sticky stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. within the relationships.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a way of avoiding intimacy, like with an excuse and work is a socially acceptable excuse to do so. Another thing, you know, we tend to see avoidant people adopting is like casual sex is totally okay. Right. Because there's not that emotional attachment that you typically have with a partner. And you know, even if they are in a committed relationship, they might struggle during stressful times, particularly, um, to share any type of feelings or thoughts or emotions with that partner. And the partner tends to feel a real sense of disconnection in the relationship. So, you know, if you know anyone in your life that kind of has this mentality of, you know, I don't need anyone. I'm I'm fine on my own. They might have an
0: avoidant attachment style. Right. And what just comes up, as you say, that is just a real lack of emotional attunement and knowing that that's likely very painful for the individual that is using, or that has that attachment style of avoidance. In some cases, I think it's not something that they may be choosing consciously. It's just something that they've learned to do. And so that can feel very, very lonely. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the kind of controversial fourth, um, attachment style is called disorganized attachment. And this is when, you know, parents might act as figures of both fear and reassurance. It's very hot and cold, almost like a bipolar feeling. So, um, because the child feels both comforted and frightened by the parent, it's really confusing and there's a lot of mixed messages. Basically the child hears like come here, no, go away. <laughs> and so this can really feel like chaos and these disorganized individuals kind of thrive in chaos and might have really contradicting feelings in their relationships as adults.
0: Yeah, and as you brought up that I that feeling of like bipolarness, right? Maybe there's a little bit of a flavor of that. I think that mental health challenges on part of the parents can really greatly Affect their child's attachment style. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah,
1: <laughs> I can't even <laughs> emphasize that enough. And I do want to emphasize, like, the importance here of dealing and healing with your own crap before becoming a parent. Before, in like capital letters, if you can, and if you so choose to become a parent. And you know, if you're sitting here and you're you have kids already, and you're thinking, well, you know crap, I've already, I already am a parent and I, I haven't had the time or the money or the motivation to do this work before now. It's honestly never too late, right? Because rarely are parents of these insecurely attached individuals, ill-intentioned when it comes to their kids. They're probably not trying to be distant and unpredictable and unavailable or hostile. Most times really, they often love their children very much and are simply struggling themselves. And it might be with anything from addiction to anxiety, depression, maybe they're in a toxic marriage or um, they have untreated trauma of their own. So, I mean, being a parent is really demanding, you know, especially if you're not in a marriage that provides you with the emotional support required or you're not practicing self-care very much. So, I mean, regardless of the reason it is um, for whatever reason, you know, some individuals are unable to provide their children with that secure love that children really crave. And it does affect these children well into adulthood. So,
0: you know, cue the generational dysfunction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, I mean, so well said. You said that so well, because ultimately, again, we want to heal so that we can feel better and and be working you know, functioning from a secure base, but we affect others. I think of our connectedness within the world, kind of like a throwing a pebble into the lake and seeing the ripples, right? We we have ripple effects and those ripple effects are in many ways our styles of attachment too, kind of moving out throughout the world and through the people that we connect with or disconnect with. And so it's really important to just take a look inward and notice what attachment style you may be functioning from. And once you've done that, um, once you've kind of identified your attachment style, then you can move towards either strengthening that, the things that you like or changing the things that you don't. But first and foremost, we have to understand that our own attachment style has a history and that history informs the models for our relationships right now. So our attachment style is going to affect how we deal with emotional intimacy. And if you have the realization that you may need to do some work around developing more secure attachment, you know, to build inner security and then healthier relationships, we really highly recommend working with a trained clinician that can help you unpack this stuff because it can get overwhelming and confusing and all the things. And uh, somebody else can offer you some objectivity.
1: Yeah. And I always recommend encourage and encourage like brainstorming and exploring this on your own. Like there are so many resources that you can
0: utilize, um, to gain a little more insight in this way. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And you can start by asking yourself some general questions, like how do you respond to conflict in general? What expectations do you have for your partner meeting your needs? How do you communicate your emotions and expectations? how do you feel about being alone? <laughs> yeah. Do you accept yourself? Do you feel that you
1: accept others? And maybe like, how do you manage worry for loved ones or even for yourself?
0: Yeah. So that's just a few for you guys to ponder on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then <laughs> some really you know, deep, deep questions for you on a Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then there's always, uh, external resources such as books. I love, you know, reading uh, from experts in the field about these different topics. Um one that's really popular that a lot of my clients have enjoyed is the book called attached. Yeah. That's the one you told me that you had a friend that was reading a book and was
1: loving it on attachment. Is it that one or is it a different one?
0: It's that one too. Yes. Awesome. Yes. She loved this one and said it was just like really eye-opening. And that one, I, I believe it's by Amir Levin and Rachel Heller. Might be butchering those names. The other one is by John Bul- Bulbly Bulby. Yeah. He's like Bulby. the attachment researcher, right? He's yeah. He's, he's like the studies. guru. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. He's one of the big guys, I think, in the 50s. And his book – well, he has many books, but one that I recommend is called Secure Base. So it really goes into the secure attachment.
1: Yeah, another one I've heard is great. is called Wired for Love. So this one is about how understanding your partner's brain and their attachment style might help you diffuse conflict and build a more secure base.
0: We want to leave you with the idea that attachment styles are not pathological. Each style has its ups and its downs, and there are solid reasons behind which attachment style we naturally gravitate towards.
1: Right, but it's nice to know that if you're experiencing interpersonal difficulties, you can change your attachment style and feel more love and joy in the present, moving further toward that secure base. And with a good amount of self-compassion, patience and courage, you'll be on your way to feeling more secure. Thank you for inviting us into your day. We hope you enjoyed the information shared in this episode. As a reminder, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. We encourage you to reach out to a licensed mental health professional to support you in continued growth. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when new episodes launch, to rate and review us on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at ABC therapy and at your journey through.